contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. So we've never been here before. Who the fuck are you people? Are all of you people Mainlanders, are you all from Maine? Okay, who's from Maine? Well, there's someone here that traveled had to travel farther than you. He came all the way from uh, the Mediterranean, Mediterranean homesick blues. Came all the way from France. And uh, he thought that was a difficult trip. I'd like to remind him that he came uh, all the way from the streets of Detroit, so he should be, uh, he should be pretty happy to be here either way. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the jump. Welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we're in week two of our OTOTO Forgotten States Month, and as we saw last week, we were in Wyoming. We fly all the way across country to Augusta, Maine. It's only a year later, and you have to keep in mind... In 1995-1996, where they were just doing non-Ticketmaster venues the whole time, they didn't have a lot of options here. So that's how Wyoming kind of moseyed on in and said, all right, get us one Pearl Jam show. That's how Maine said, you know what, if you can't go to Boston, hell, Maine's open, sure, go to Maine. So a lot of these places got lucky. If they went and did Ticketmaster the whole entire way, I wonder what the story would have been. However, we're going back to no code in order to tell this one. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, like, maybe Augusta and Casper don't get shows if they're playing Ticketmaster venues, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Here's the interesting thing that, that Pearl Jam hasn't done that most other bands do, and I think the best example of Pearl Jam doing it was maybe 1998, 2003, and 2006. Like, legit full North American tours. 
where mm-hmm. they hit every single city, every single state. It hasn't happened all too often, and you would think that the time that would have been the perfect situation to do it would have been around Vitalogy, and maybe not No Code, which we're going to talk about today, but Vitalogy for sure being the hottest band in the world. If they had decided that they were going to do a full, legit North American tour, there would have been probably close to 50 or 60 dates and close to almost every city accounted for. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I was thinking about that just now when you were bringing it up. If you think about, you know, Pearl Jam just passed a thousand shows just a couple of years ago, and I don't think they've even hit 1,100 yet. No, they have not. If you think about that, that's a low number for 30 years of being a band. Like, you talk about all the bands that, you know, their peers and their contemporaries and the bands that they idolized. And look at, like, a lot of bands, like, were Road Dogs. And, like, you're looking talking about 2,000, 3,000 shows. Like, the Ramones played, God, how many shows? You know, about 2,500, yeah. Yeah, 2,500. And for a band that makes its name playing live and has this following and has this, you know, amazing connection with their audience, like, that's a low number for them. Like, they should have played 2,000 shows by now. I wonder if people look back at some point when it, when it's all said and done and been like, yeah, we didn't get as much of them live as we probably should have. And, you know, obviously the last few years have been what they were, but even before that, you know, you can look back and they really haven't toured as much as some other people have and as much as we kind of think they have. And so, yeah, a lot of these places have been visited few and far between. So, yeah, Maine is kind of, you know, when you talk about the New England states, it's it can be an outlier because it's just so far away. It's and practically Canada. Yeah, like I've been up a handful of times because my sister-in-law is up there. And, you know, it's nice. I, I like going up there. It's, it's, it's nice. They got some great towns and stuff like that. But it's a hike. It's a hike to get to. When you look at what the schedule was in 1996... So on the 21st, they're in Toronto. Okay, fair. Start in Toronto. The next night, they're in Toledo, which you can go from Toronto to Toledo. That's no problem. On the 24th, they're in Maryland. And, okay, Ohio to Maryland seems like it's a little bit more of a hike, but, yeah, if you're skipping a day in between, doable. Yeah, absolutely doable, yeah. Maryland to Maine with one day rest. That Mm -hmm. is a long way up because to get from where I am to, like, Maryland, Virginia is, you know, eight hours at the minimum. And to get to Maine, I'm sure it's 14, 15, right. Yep. Oh yeah, you know it wasn't it wasn't the plan A. I'm sure this was whoever the tour manager was at the time. The manager was working overnight because you know I'm sure you plan it out there. Like, all right, we'll hit DC, we'll hit Philly, we'll hit New York, we'll hit Boston. Then you look and at then all the Ticketmaster thing happens, and you go, nope, 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 and then you scramble to like, okay, can we do, can we do a place like Hartford? Can we do a place like? Providence, like, oh, nope, doesn't work, doesn't work. All right, right, well, what's our next? What's the next place? And, like, then you go to places like Augusta and maybe a Burlington or Albany or something like that. And, yeah, it's like this was not the first choice for this tour. I would I would guarantee it. So Augusta ends up being the place. And, look, you have Hartford, too, in, in New England. So you kind of have enough area spread where your Boston people, your New Hampshire people, your providence people can kind of go and and pick a spot 
But it's funny because when you think about shows and when you think about like local areas that are pretty small town type places and, you know, Maine is is going to be one of those places, they'll still take a band like this and they'll remember the history of the show being there and it will kind of be passed around as sort of a legendary a legendary performance in a way especially that Pearl Jam never came back to Maine I stumbled upon in research for this there was a, a, a local radio station a local rock station and in 2020 they published something for their website saying remember this Pearl Jam show from 1996 and they legitimately said this might have been the best show that happened in, in the whole entire state of Maine. And when you think about that, of course, Pearl Jam is probably not the biggest act that ever walked through Maine. But when you're thinking about what happened at the show, yeah, there's some special stuff that happens. Like, that perks eyes. Maybe maybe when we're paying attention to Pearl Jam as people that are just paying attention solely to Pearl Jam, you think about Dennis Rodman showing up and like, okay, it's happened a couple times. And you think about a couple of the other things, like the thing with the moon today that we're going to talk about the eclipse. And you're like, okay, there's been moon stuff that has happened at Pearl Jam shows before, but for Maine and that being their only experience there, that's really special for that state. You know, that's special for the people that live there and have lived to talk about it. And also for people to sort of pass down that story to people that are young enough to, to not remember, and tell them like hey back in the day Pearl Jam came here and it was one of the best things we've ever seen you know what I mean oh yeah especially if you were like you know a 13 14 15 16 year old kid and like you might not have been able to go to Boston you might not have been able to go to Hartford or New York City you know you're living with your parents like that might not have been an option like for me in in 1996 like I couldn't have gone to Charleston like I was living at home like my parents would have been like no you're crazy like you're not going there but the kids in Augusta like yeah fortune smiled upon them and brought Pearl Jam to their town in a chance where otherwise that that would not have happened so those kids are grown up now they're 40 45 years old and like they're going to be like looking back like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was amazing. You know, Pearl Jam shows are an event. Like I said, it's a spectacle, you know, not in the sense that like a Kiss show was a spectacle, but like they were the biggest band in the world and they're coming to your town. So, yeah, it was an event. That's the way it should be. Yeah. And and look, I, I wouldn't be surprised to, and I, I didn't when doing the research, but to stumble across something from Wyoming that said, like, if you want rock shows, like the 1995 show Pearl Jam in their prime was maybe like one of the best things for Wyoming at the time. It like sort of felt like maybe, you know, small town like Casper, like put them on the map and it made them special just for that one night. You know what I mean? And maybe yeah. kind of same thing for Augusta. I know Augusta is, I believe the state capital. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not like people ignore it, but I'm sure with all the other spots there, like Portland and Bangor and, and a couple of those other places, I'm sure things just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And with this on their you know, mantle, like sitting there as kind of a trophy, like, yeah, uh, be proud of it. Be happy that it's in your history, especially if you were lucky enough to be there. You don't know it at the time, but this is one of the best shows that you'll ever see. One of This is actually an interesting story. I believe my friend Ned told this to me when we were over in Vegas. And I told him that we were doing, he lives in Maine currently, he's from Boston, but I told him we were doing this show. And he said, 
Oh yeah, you know, it's funny because Bad Religion came to Maine like 10 years ago. He said Greg Graffin the whole entire time just said like, I can't believe it's taken us this long to be in Maine. I can't believe it's taken us this long to be in Maine. Like every other song, he was just saying that. And any tour that they've had since, they have for the majority went to Maine. So <laughs> like it's, you know, it, it's funny that it sort of all kind of ends up that way. And maybe not every single band is going to look at Maine and say, oh, yeah, we want to go back there. Maybe it's just not their thing. But for other people, you, you just never know where they're going to gravitate towards. All right, why don't we get into the show? We'll talk about Dennis Rodman a little bit later, as he'll get mentioned a little bit before the last song in the main set. But let's dig in. And 1996, it's going to happen more often than not. Your opener for the show is going to be sometimes. pretty slow like maybe even slower tempo than the album it it, it creeps in it doesn't have that big build to a dramatic moment it stays pretty consistent and the only thing that i really had thinking from this is is what kind of version of sometimes is best hmm i like the more recent ones like the screamy ones really gets kind of intense with it but yeah, this is definitely on the more like chilled out, laid back. Like you said, very slow, very deliberate. It felt like they were really just trying to pump the brakes on this and not let it get sped up. Like let's let's make sure we take our time with this one cuz oh, you're going to get some fast ones after this. You are, but also I feel like they kind of built to and and by fast one I I think animal is considered in that, but Hell Hell I thought was just really like right in the pocket and, and kind of not sped up in the same way that we see Hell Hell nowadays. I think they really didn't get there until Spin the Black Circle at this. Oh, and yeah. Spin the Black Circle is the one. That's that the one. Yeah. That's yeah. A- absolutely yeah. the one. But no, they did not start the show off on a tear like you would think with these songs. You're kind of near the beginning of the tour. And again, you've got a new song and like they haven't quite figured out, you know, this is only the third performance of Sometimes ever. So, you know, there's still maybe, you know, somebody was still kind of feeling that. I think Stone probably starts this one just could have been a thing he was trying out. Like, hey, let's let's be a little more deliberate with it. Maybe they tried it in a sound check or a practice and it it didn't come together very well. So they just wanted to make sure they got through it like it could have been something like that. 
Yeah, it could have been. And, and look, uh, if it was in the sound check, it certainly wasn't in this sound check. I don't know if we yeah, want to make it. Yeah, been from a previous. Yeah. I don't know if we want to make a pivot point since we're so early in the set, but the sound check sure. here, it's pretty jam packed for a sound check. Usually you don't get a full list of everything they played. You usually get like one or two songs, but this is, uh, yeah, this is quite jam packed here. Off he goes, several versions of Garden present tense which they haven't really brought into the fold yet better man with the save it for later tag which we will get into a little bit later that was the only one out of these bunch that they played can't explain let my love open the door which i don't Mm. believe got played after 95 i could be wrong about that they might have played it once in 96 but really almost never and last exit so a lot of those are just like practicing the no code stuff and seeing if they got the no code stuff down. But it's interesting. Garden was pretty much done in '96. The save for later jam that, that we're going to talk 95. about. '95. It didn't even didn't even pop up. It in didn't 96. even pop up. You know, I was actually yeah. looking at some of the stuff because some of the other sound checks from this year, like if you look at Toledo, they checked Deep, mm-hmm. and Deep didn't get brought back this year. They checked Wash in Toronto, and Wash, I believe, did get brought back at one show in 96, I think. Right, yeah, I think it did. But obviously not common. That was one that they were not doing anymore. But it's, it's interesting that it was on their minds, and they at least kind of made some sort of effort to go with it instead of saying no, we're 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 completely done with that. Let's kind of deprogram ourselves from from knowing the song and all that. I wanted to to hear how it sounded because maybe like Jack didn't feel like he was playing it very well. They didn't feel like it was coming together. Like I would have loved to have heard what they felt like didn't work for Garden. You know, it's what made them like try it that many times and then abandon it completely for the next four years you know a lot of these songs the same way like what what were they doing why didn't they want to do it that way and maybe the the simplest answer is that they just moved on and feeling it right and in 2000 2003 bringing it back meant that they wanted to do good by the fans that they wanted to do fan service so we kind of already discussed most of just the pacing of Hail, Hail, Animal, Spin the Black Circle, then Tremor Christ. But what from this section did you think was a highlight here? Jack at the end of Hail, Hail, of course, has a really good build. And then Jack just kind of explodes on it at the end. I thought that was excellent. Mike has a very good solo on Animal. And then, yeah, it, it's all leading up to the blistering Spin the Black Circle here. Like, it's just breakneck speed. <laughs> that it seems like Ed was holding off a little bit on Hail Hail, holding off a little bit on Animal, and it feels like he's definitely in this show picking his spots, and you gotta think, 
four nights on tour and then a couple that were in Seattle as well that were shortly before this. And I think he's still like, okay, let's let's get myself warmed up. It's been almost a year since since playing and I wonder if the fourth show in he was just sort of extending his voice a lot at the first couple and maybe this show he was just like okay pick your moments to do that pick your moments to go off and even on spin a black circle where it felt like he was going all for it I'm not sure if he has full capacity in his voice at this point i think we could talk about it later where he does and he when and where he mixes it in and even in a non-song it seems like he is at pretty full capacity but it didn't feel like in this first section that he was really pulling out the best of ed at this show just yet hmm. i didn't get that at all that's interesting i have to go back and check but like you know, we've talked about so many shows where, like, he's feeling sick or a little bit under the weather. It could have been something where he was recovering. We we just don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll have yeah. to keep an eye on that the rest of the show. Tremor Christ up here, too, just, uh, you know, kind of coming back from last week where I said that it felt rushed. It didn't feel like it had that kind of, like, pounding tension to it. I think we were back on track with this version of Tremor Christ. And Ed says something in one of the verses here is kind of a reaction to the audience, but it's really hard. This is another one we don't have any video for so you can't really tell what exactly the interaction is yeah i couldn't make a note of it but a very good version i thought especially stone and jeff and jack together felt really locked in and felt like they were really in a good good groove with and that's what you need to make the song good in my tree and then luke and not for you but in my tree has to be highlighted because of course we have somebody that is the highlight on in my tree every single time and that's where the intro comes in and of course it's that big pounding intro that just sounds like you're in a fucking jungle was the first one of the night that felt like they were really locked in and it really soars and felt like a real standout performance of the night. This was the first time that I kind of sat up in my chair with the headphones on and took notice like, oh, okay, here we go. This is getting to something good. Yeah, just an incredible performance by Jack and the guitars too at the end. Mike and Stone together just sounds very, very good at the end. Like when it hits that bridge at the end, that solo really picks up and soars and this one just took off like yeah it really got to a good place i thought it was a fantastic version this is also a show where ed is a little bit loosey-goosey with some of the lyric changes here Mm -hmm. and it's yeah and it's very possible that he was in a good mood at this show and and usually when he does lyric changes that means he's comfortable with 
playing with things a little bit, and the change here was grown up just like us instead of growing up just like me. So we'll talk about that as, as the, the show progresses here, but we're in the Luke and Not For You combination again this week. I think this is the third time in a row that we've talked about this combo. Lucan comes in at a minute flat. It keeps pretty fierce and finds the pocket. Like It's it's a good balance for Lucan, I think. I think that that's, this is very close to where you kind of want it, right? Yeah, definitely. And like you're, you know, this is post no code. So you're getting the full lyrics of, mm-hmm. of Luke and he's got it worked out. So that was cool to hear. And it's a good little like palate cleanser for the set after something that soars like in my tree that's like really heavy and really big. They they come in with like Lucan, which just like freaks everybody out again for a minute. And then you hit him with not for you again. It's like the one two punch together. Yeah, it's, it's done very well there. Like, Give, give it to us three more weeks in a row. I love it every time. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's funny because I thought that the transition, it, it still wasn't there yet. It still wasn't the uh, free sure, purchasing not, a yeah. fucking gun. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't have that at all. But, like, the idea that they kept doing it and they, they knew they wanted to package these two together and they thought later, like, okay, how? How can we make this kind of in sync with each other and, and kind of synced up like that I think is interesting and I also think that it's just growth in in musicianship and, and maturity within you know playing up on stage and, and acknowledging that okay maybe something else could work here that sort of makes it pop a little bit more not for you's performance is again you know I think a lot of what we've talked about in the last couple weeks is where it quiets a little bit and they just sort of sit on that tension for a little while and this this version seems like it was playing up to the crowd just a little bit they linger on it just a bit longer than they usually do and then they're able to kind of burst and explode like we've kind of talked about and and I'm sure we'll talk about again at many other various versions of not for you but again like it seemed like out of the handful of stuff like spin the black circle not for you another one that ed is going for it on but it doesn't feel like full capacity is just 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 to miss a little bit Hmm. the thing that stood out for me on this was you mentioned it a little bit was being able to hear the crowd for the first time you know during the quiet part there you do get to hear this crowd and like that's always cool especially on these like 90s audience bootlegs that we have to kind of hear because you know someone's got a tape recorder and you're in the crowd and you get to hear them around that's always a cool moment so definitely took notice of that and yeah you know this is one of their their best live songs at the time so yeah it gets a prime spot here in the middle of the set all right, I think this one can go down as one of the more important moments of this night, especially as to where history lies. And look, it's not going to stop with Better Man. We're going to kind of get into it with Corduroy a little bit, too. So, mid-set Better Man, at the time... Better Man is still developing into the showstopper kind of version, but you saw in the way that they were playing it and the way that Ed was going about it, you could see that he was trying to work it within ways where, okay, if the crowd wants to sing during this part, it's kind of opened up for them a little bit more. It doesn't happen here, and I'm wondering if 1998, it, it's really the spot where it starts to happen a little bit more, but I think Ed is is opening that door on this version, which is so interesting because of what's going to happen towards the end of the version which is really opening up the door for something completely different that would mark where we are with the song today 
Oh yeah, this absolutely changed the trajectory of the song. If you look at Live Footsteps here, and if you look at, we just talked about Tremor Christ from the same record. You know, Tremor Christ, this was the 47th performance of that song here. Better Man, you're only talking about the 38th performance here. So Tremor Christ had been played more times up to now than than Better Man. And then you look at it, you know, Tremor Christ would go on to be played about 35 more times in the next, you know, 20 six years a better man would have another about another 500 so mm. they would take on uh, alternate journeys from here on out but i wonder what the origin of this was because a lot of times you know we'll get the origin story of things we'll know like we know that like last kiss like ed found the seven inch at the flea market and like we we've heard like different things about the different covers of stuff when it happened but we don't know how this came about like did he just hear it on the radio did someone someone listen to it was it stone was it mike someone pointed out like hey this has the same chords as better man we might want to give this a try yeah perhaps that that that's where it kind of all came from and and you know i i've never kind of likened anybody's influence in the band straight to the English beat, but it's not out of the question at all. It's, you know, it's That's an 80s song. Thing. I gotta think I, it's an Ed thing. Yeah, probably. Ed likes a lot of very obscure kind of 80s music. so of new wave mm-hmm, thing. He right. split ends. He's, got, he's a big split ends guy. Right, but even that, even you know. the, the beat is kind of like, it's, it's new wave, but it's got ties to ska as well. A little bit, yeah. And I've never had, I've never seen Ed with any ties to Ska, right, right. which is interesting. But they did it in Soundcheck, and they were trying it out in Soundcheck. And that, I would have to guess, couldn't have been more than, like, on the bus the day before somebody played with it and said, all right, let's actually try it. And then when you get into the part where he's actually starting to bring it in, it seemed like a little tentative at first. It seemed like, okay, save it for later. And he's not like confident with it at first. He's just kind of like, okay, let me sing this. Let's see how it sounds like legit when we're, you know, in front of people and, and let's, let's go from there. And he says it a couple times and then it starts to kind of pick up some steam and he starts doing the lyrics sooner or later, run away. Like you get found out and it starts to work. It starts to gel. And I think that almost every show after this, especially from 2000 and 2003 on, there aren't a lot of shows that don't have Save It For Later as the tag. And then, even after a while, they make it like its own section, its own thing, outside of really what oh, yeah. Better Man was. So It's almost just as long as Better Man, who like has a call and response, and has right. like, it's become this big moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and seeing that this is where it all began, it's it's interesting because, you know, obviously you don't think in 1996, like, okay, this is what we're going to sell Better Man on for the rest of our careers. But when you're looking back at it now and saying, holy crap, this was just a, a small idea that just kind of picked up a lot of steam and, and see where we are with it now that is, you know, cherished by all the fans. That is, that's one of those things that you're just sort of expecting out of Better Man now. And it's a full on staple of a Pearl Jam show, 100%. And like now he'll get, you know, more theatrical with it and he'll really emphasize it and play it up but here he's just he's basically just singing the the english beat version of it it's very straight which is you know understandable for the debut and you mentioned like sounds a little tentative like yeah it's the first time they've ever done it so 
bust it out in soundcheck and then give it a go. The first of many, save it for later's here. That's a, that's a cool moment for Augusta to have. So what's really eerie about this is that obviously going into this, I knew that save it for later was the debut tag. And my early thought is like, okay, what, what does this mean for Pearl Jam now? And then we get to Corduroy. And I'm just like, okay, we're going into Corduroy. We're going into Jeremy. All right, we're just continuing on this path. And I saw it again. You want to talk about versions of songs that get extended and see a glimpse of the future in 1996. Corduroy has that extension where they don't go into the everything as chains. They just keep going. They keep going for that the couple extra measures and then go into the everything as chains. Absolutely nothing changed line. Obviously, that could have been Ed, you know, not getting to the mic at first. Maybe it could have been the, just them feeling out the moment and then doing it. Another thing that maybe they practiced, but I don't think that they had done that until like 2013. Like, I, that is not a conscious decision that they're making there until way, way later, you know? Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen because I couldn't tell if like, because a lot of times it'll be someone broke a string and needs a new guitar. So someone will be like, oh, you know, we got to extend this by another measure to wait. Or if like, if Jack broke a drumstick or something and had to like, you know, get a new one, you know, sometimes they have them right at the kit. But whatever it was, you know, it leads to these kind of like cool little moments that at the time I'm sure it was like, oh, you know, no big deal. But then you look at, you know, where we are now, 20, 25 years later, and you're like, oh, like that later became a thing. And and here was the first time that they did it for whatever reason. And another one, like just a standout performance. I thought, you know, not even mentioning that, I thought Mike on the solo just for the first time at the show just went off and just obliterated it. You know, we talk about, you know, he always gets this mid-set moment and there's, there's going to be an even flow later but there's no even flow here and where it normally is. So I think this was like his moment to kind of show off and do his thing and like just an absolutely blistering solo from Mike here. Very, very good. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I fully agree with that. I think Mike and Jack at the end are holding down the fort and working off each other. And yeah, like it, it builds into a very, very big ending and the whole entire performance, whether or not it's building from that moment 
or not. Maybe maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it feels like it really does grab a lot of energy when it comes time to pick it up at the end. Like It's a very good performance. Even I'd be sitting here saying that if we weren't getting a glimpse into the future. So, Jeremy, real quick, followed that, and... The only thing I really got on Jeremy is that the entire crowd takes the, whoa, they, they take oh, yeah. that all themselves. And again, we don't have the video of this, so we don't know if Ed just turns the mic around and then just kind of listens to what they're saying and he doesn't say anything back. But that sounds like a moment that he prompts. Definitely. And also the first 10 song of the night, if I'm not mistaken. So... This crowd was looking for something to sing along to, and like you hadn't really gotten a hit at this point. You know, Better Man obviously wasn't a hit yet. So yeah, this one I can see him being like, "You made it through some of the new ones. You made it through, you know, some of the stuff that we tried. So here's one for you." And I, yeah, I can totally see him like turning the mic stand around and, and letting him have it. Yeah, especially in a city and a state that they aren't familiar with. And and look, if they in 1995 went to Maine and they can kind of come back. They they know what yeah. songs the band responded to. If they responded best to the hits, then they would have come out there and they would have put even flow in the mid set and opened with something from verses or something like that. And, and maybe held back on some of the no code stuff early on, but they didn't have any of that. They had to kind of go off of what they were feeling like playing and see if the crowd responded to it. But then, of course, this being placed here, it makes them say, like, okay, we want to see where they are. If they, if they got involved earlier, which I think they did, you were able to hear the crowd. Uh, yeah, not for you, definitely. Not for you, of course. And even in Better Man, a little bit, but not too, too much. But... It definitely gives them, you know, their first moment to really feel like, okay, we're a part of this as well. And that's what Pearl Jam does so well now. And it's so much easier to do that now because I think that everybody is more well studied up on things. And in 1996, probably a very, very high percentage, maybe in the 90s, fans are seeing them for the first time, especially in 1995. They didn't go to the East Coast. So yeah, leave it at that, I suppose. It could have been something too, where like a lot of times he'll do it. He'll be like, all right, show me what you got. Like we've never been here before. Right, Impressive. Right, right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's see what you got. Yep. So very cool. And then he's finally going to kind of talk for the first time after this. Not a lot of breaks in the first half, but here we finally get one. Yeah, I think it was a good time to address the crowd. And and usually when he goes for this long without addressing the crowd, it means like, uh, well, he's probably not in a great mood. He probably doesn't want to say a lot of things. However, if this is the time, and really, you know, from Better Man on, I kind of felt like, okay, now things feel a little bit light. It feels like the load has kind of lessened a little bit. But he addresses good singing, and I'm wearing a watch tonight. I don't know if that's uncommon for Ed or not. But he says, I don't know if you know, there's a moon out there. It could be bigger than anything I've seen before in my life. It's bigger than the sky. It's bigger than Dennis Rodman. Well, maybe not. They're about the same. But at 10.15, that's when the lunar eclipse happens. But if we're outdoors, we'd be able to find it, but we're indoors, and I think we'll be able to feel it. 
this was like Ed building something big to the crowd for later. And it comes at a very, very opportune moment that just feels really, really good when it does come in. And I'll leave that as a tease because I think that we'll get to it in no time. Red Mosquito does follow that, and I think this this version kind of reminded me a little bit of the Berlin version, just how, like, there's no count-in or anything like that. It just blasts off with Mike in the beginning, and it's a very, very good Mike version of the song. And 1996 versions of Red Mosquito are just excellent in, in and of themselves. <laughs> like you mentioned no even flow in the main set so this is another one where mike is able to make up oh, yeah. for it on this ed mentions we haven't played this one in a while but we played it the other night it sounded good we're gonna play it again state of love and trust another subtle lyric change to barrel shake aimed directly at your head so it's it's kind of becoming us and you instead of me and my so that's kind of interesting that he was thinking in those terms and he's kind of thinking you know pulling things together i suppose and then ed calls somebody out in the front and says hey I i recognize you you were here the other night have you been and a Apparently, this is somebody named Josh Ling. I have never met Josh before. I wonder if he's still part of the Pearl Jam community. If you're out there, send us an email. Yeah. Look, State of Love and Trust, I think what Jack went through, kind of like what some of the other songs did, where they're figuring out what Jack sounds best on this song with. And for a while... There were a couple versions in, like, 1995 where they were trying that, like, punk rock beat that we talked about, and I think that at this point they abandoned that, and this is way more straightforward for State of Love and Trust and Jack. Yeah, it was good. Near the end of the set, you're kind of, we're going to get more of the 10-era stuff from here on out that, you know, these people have been with since the beginning. I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more of that. You know, normally when they go to a place for the first time, you'll get a heavy... 10 set list but this one only four out of the 23 or whatever songs it is are 10 songs so a lot of no code a lot of vitalogies so yeah that, that's pretty cool yeah state of love and trust again mike too i thought coming off of red mosquito very good mike and stone together on this one 
Yeah, and, and maybe they were thinking about Ted a little bit because Garden is is checked. So yep. they, they are thinking, okay, what more can we bust out from this? They weren't doing Why Go. They weren't doing Oceans very often. Release, they decided not to open the show with. No Deep. No Deep, yeah. So they didn't give themselves a lot of wiggle room and no porch at the show either. It's true. It's true. So it's surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of those 10 songs just just what happened so even if they decided to make this a very 10 heavy set you don't really have much more to give them than five but here you have another one black is the one where it's 10 15 to the moon instead of the earth to the sun then once you're kind of getting towards the end and you're getting past i know someday you'll have a beautiful life ed keeps repeating can you feel it can you feel it can you feel it and of course when i hear him say that my first reaction is that that's that's msg corduroy right there him doing that and i think he's doing that feeling the stage bounce and I think he's trying to really build this moment. He planted the seeds a little bit a couple minutes ago with saying that at 10.15, this is where we're going to do it. He checks his watch, and and now this is going to be the place. And it's a very, very cool moment. It really gets the crowd engaged with this. And afterwards, Ed said, it's happening right now. I just want to rip the roof off this place. And then he does like three huge arena rock howls to i guess like his way of like shouting at the moon i suppose mm-hmm. yeah a little bark at the moon lazy yeah right homage there that was really cool it's not something you expected a show like this so yeah very cool moment i thought that was fantastic and like you talked about holding back his voice maybe he was holding back for that well that's what i was kind of alluding to before yeah. where this was really the moment that he he stretched it out the most mm-hmm. you know and it's not technically even a song but whether or not he was kind of feeling not 100 percent, if if it was a little bit off if he just didn't have his fastball at this one then he certainly brought it out just for this moment which again maybe he was feeling the moon so that's why that happened but really the 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 howls will were all getting warmed up for habit which kind of ends off this little section here and we get a speaking as an individual determined to see the year 2000 it has a cool jam at the end i think that 
I thought I heard Stone soloing at the end there, but I could be wrong. What did hmm. your ear tell you? Couldn't tell. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to go go back and listen because at that point, I think you you got Ed putting on the guitar again after Black, so you got the three guitar tag going for yeah. for Habit and and Rearview Mirror here to follow. So hard to tell when there when there's three of them going. Right. And like and you're not you're not getting the official like mic on the left, Stone on the right, like you like sure. you would. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That that that's what makes it difficult. Maybe I felt like it was more geared towards the right side, and that's like sure. obviously sure. not uh, perfect science at all. But it sounded more like Stone style, even though there were pieces in it that you can attribute to Mike. So, and then the last two songs of the set are going to be Rearview Mirror into Alive. Alive is going to be the big one. We'll get into that in just a second. But Rearview Mirror has that plucky intro as a teaser. And even just like an extension of the intro a little bit, you know, it's just not one bar where they're doing that run in, yeah. in, in the yeah. beginning. They're, they're kind of doing it over and over again. Here, it's like the versions with Jack are still a little more rhythmic, a little more relaxed and a little it, it, it wasn't well, I quite say this. the ending was that relaxed well you know talking about just the jam part like it would yeah they were still doing it where it would they would really bring it down and there was nearly no jack it in that up. it may be a little symbols but that's it yeah but at the end that's really where jack lets it all go and it has a really really good end to this that rhythm is right in his wheelhouse. That, yeah, that's right. That's perfect for him. Yeah. All right. So we're at a live, and Ed says he addresses that we've never been here before. Applause just keeps getting greater. Who the fuck are you people? Are all of you people mainlanders? Are all of you from Maine? And that gets the best response. But, you know, it's interesting. He's asking who's from Maine, who's from New York, who's from D.C., who's from Nova Scotia. He doesn't <laughs> boo, like. Boo. He doesn't go to any of the other New England spots. He doesn't say who's from Boston. He doesn't say who's from New Hampshire. Yeah, because D.C. and New York get booze. And he's like, all right, right I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Because nobody in 1996. And, and look, if it was now, then, yeah, there would be tons of people coming from New York, I'm sure. But in 1996, they were not going up to Maine to go to a Pearl Jam show. Not a chance. So Only the very diehard, yeah. Right. It looks like they're all here from Maine. There's somebody here that traveled farther than any of you. He came from the Mediterranean. Ed said he came from France, but the PJ20 book said he came from Italy. I mean, it's next to each other, so I guess yeah. one one or the other. And Wasn't he, the NBA season starting like soon? Shouldn't he have been... Uh, in Not in maybe like a training camp September? thing in September. Yeah. yeah, maybe some training camp is going on. But I think that NBA season usually doesn't start until the first week of November. So hmm. it's a little bit like mid-October you start uh, okay. the preseason stuff. So I'm sure this was his like last hurrah sure. to get all the fun out. And honestly, in those years that he was playing for the Bulls, he made a lot of like excess trips to places just to go and stress relieve where he didn't show up to games and even like Phil Jackson didn't know where he was. Oh yeah, he was quite the personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is around the time where I'm sure he got married, married to himself or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, he married Carmen Electra and he wore the wedding dress. Mm-hmm. 
So that made headlines. And obviously, right. he had thousands of different color hair, which at the time was like, ooh, that's risque. And, and now everybody has a different color hair. And he was very sporadic. And even with one of the other stories that's kind of gotten passed down in Pearl Jam lore is that he was hanging out with Ed in Seattle, and it might have been after a Supersonics game. And he said, do you want to go to Vegas to go see Jane's Addiction? And they did. They left and they went to go see Jane's Addiction. So that's sort of at the time, the beginning stages of Rodman and Eddie's friendship really developing. And I think we've heard a lot about, you know, Rodman was in a bad place at some point in his life and he listened to Black and that made him want to stay alive. And that was one of the reasons. And, you know, we know he's very outspoken. We know he has some opinions that we obviously don't agree with, but he was an important factor at this time. And a lot of fans that hear this, especially from Maine, where nobody popular goes to Maine, you know, nobody goes to Maine unannounced where they're in that building. That's exciting for them. He's there. Obviously, the Bulls and everything that's going on then with with Jordan, and, and that's like right in the middle of that uh, the second half of that dynasty. So Rodman's everywhere, and, and everybody just hearing the name Rodman just gets super pumped and super excited. Oh my god, yeah, and again, it's too bad that we don't have video for this, because mm. we hear that, like, you know, he comes out, the story is he put Ed on his shoulders to sing, and, like, you can hear when he comes out, because there's oh, a yeah. big crowd response, and then you, you can tell, oh, there's the moment where he puts Ed on his shoulders, because there's another big crowd response. That's right. Like, the vocal delivery changes a little bit, because Ed has to adjust, you know, being seven feet up in the air, singing instead of on the ground. But yet, it's it's kind of funny to kind of trace it by the crowd reaction. Oh, here's here's where that must have happened, and here's uh-huh. where that happened, and yeah, you can kind of follow along.
pictures out there. The pictures aren't that good. They're black and white, and they're not from great angles. You could see where, where Ed is, but the picture isn't telling the full story of what's happening out there. But watch this, and, and you know, watching this on stage, and all go down, it, it's super exciting for, for those fans. And for the band, it, it's exciting for them, too, because they don't get a lot of the sporadic celebrity guest appearances on stage. So the whole entire band brings it on this. It's a cool moment. Like you see, there's a thing from, they've got the little clip on Five Horizons of his, I guess his memoir or whatever. Yeah. Where he talks about it and he's like, oh, I should have like, I should have screamed along with him. It was my big chance. But he just got overwhelmed by the moment. He's like, he says, you know, Ed gave him a tape of the show right after it ended. And he's like, oh, I don't have anything to play this on. So Ed just gave him his Walkman with like his, the EV initials on it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. That, that yeah. Great story. And and he says, you know, I've, I've got to find a way to get back to that moment if it's the last thing I do. And then he did. He well, was he, able to get back to it. He was able to get back to it. And then some, because yep, there's yep. a show in Dallas in 98. We have not touched up on this yet, but I love the poster. He's there, and according to one source that I read, I've, I've, I've never listened to the show before, but essentially he's up there singing on stage for like 45 minutes. And it's very much, this dude is overstayed as welcome. And there's one point where Stone, I guess, goes over to Ed, and he's pissed, and he's saying, can you get this guy the fuck off the stage? And I can see that being sort of a rift there. You know, Ed wants yeah. to, obviously, with this high-profile celebrity friend of his, he wants to give him the big spotlight. And Rodman is 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 pretty wasted, I believe, at that point. I, I believe at this point, too. Hmm. And more so because he's his friend, he wants him to share this moment on stage with them. And that's sort of the breaking point with Stone. I'm sure he's by Stone's side, just kind of like running around and, and, you know, taking the mic and, and kind of sporadically going on and maybe he's getting in the way. But yeah, apparently it didn't fly. That'll be an interesting one to cover someday. Yeah, and it's not the last time we saw Rodman. Obviously, there yep. are times they forgave him for that, and he came back, and he did so many different other things with them. And there's a lot of mentions for Rodman. There's a lot of times where you might be in the crowd, and you might see him just wandering around the, the pit. And I think one of the popular ones is the Brooklyn show from 2013. People said that they saw him at Lollapalooza in 07. People He's said hard to miss. Hard to it's miss. very hard to miss. Yeah, I remember when Ed mentioned that in Brooklyn, and I looked down towards the bottom. I, I was able to see his head because he was just yeah. towering over everybody. And he was also at PJ20. So that's yep. the full story right there. So. Yep. Well, all right, we're at the Encore, and let's pause real quick for station identification and just let you guys know what's happening on Patreon. It's always going. It's always moving. I, I suggest that right now. Take the opportunity to go and listen to the stuff that's in our archive. If you haven't done that yet, there's going to be new stuff that's coming out, but I can never guarantee when it's coming out. I think now that the tour is over, we can really start to focus and start to move on. And of, of course, the last couple of weeks with having COVID and stuff like that, I've, I've sort of been limited as to what 
what I could do, and and I think I wanted to make the priority the show itself. But now I'm over it, thankfully, and we can kind of move on, and we can probably get to some stuff in the not so distant future, more exclusive that that we've been promising. But like evolution episodes, we've done a lot of great songs. I think like we hit all of the most popular songs with release and footsteps and uh, present tense and hard to imagine like the, those are all done you can find those in the archives someday you're going to get that three hour black one uh, I have three parts of three hours each. Uh-huh, Jeez, uh-huh. you know, I was sort of thinking about this version of Better Man and saying like, okay, this would be a huge oh, point yeah. in the Better Man discussion. And I was thinking to myself, can we make Better Man less than two hours, one episode? It would be very yeah, tough. Find find out someday. It would be very tough, but I think. Out of the the ones that have run about five hundred times, I think Better Man would be the easier one to do and probably one of the better stories to tell. So maybe that's yeah. on the docket for the future. You never know. I, we haven't done enough versus stuff yet. So we have to go back to verses at some point, but uh, evolution episodes are still going to keep going throughout the year. I promise. I know we've only been doing one this year, but we mentioned last week that we're going to still be working on nothing, man. And that's the plan for the next month. So hopefully we'll get that out to you shortly and then also over on patreon we're about a week away we're like a week and a half away from some european shows and they're gonna be playing saturday the 18th at pink pop and once that happens and once they get a couple more shows under their belt we'll we'll go back to the reviews we'll go back to doing the recaps both on live on four and for patreon platforms so if that's something that you're interested in head on over it's patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the patreon app and search for live on four legs or go to live on four legs.com there is a button that says become a patron that's so easy you can just do that and give us a hit for the website as well and there are three different tiers. The bonus leg tier, it will give you every exclusive episode on the platform, and then we'll obviously give you a shout-out and a thank you for, for joining up. And the middle tier, which is the giga leg tier, that will get you a requested episode. And then the horizon leg tier, the top tier, will get you a request. It will get you a profile episode, and it will give you a profile on liveonfourlegs.com. So if you're interested in any of that, head on over, sign up, There's lots to listen to. There's lots to do. All right. Let's move forward. Back to the rock. Band comes out on stage. You can hear kind of a guitar pluck. And it's who you are. And going back and listening to it again, like it's very obviously it's in the key of who you are. But a real quick flash and reading that the sound check had Garden in it, I almost thought that it could have been Garden. Yeah, it would be interesting to have seen an, an original set list for this and if it was on there and crossed off because that would have been definitely noteworthy that they had, had not played it and, and wouldn't play it until 2000. But we get the song that made sense more for the time. It's obviously the single that came out at this point mm-hmm. and Garden was was not in the 1996 era at all and Who You Are is played here and I think that you know the the jam off the back end of this is where you kind of listen to it and you think about what they do now and extending certain songs and there weren't a lot of songs that got that extension like rearview mirror wasn't quite there yet immortality was was 
probably the one to wait for, maybe Black Hat a little bit this, this time. I think Who You Are is like their first big experiment on like, okay, what can we do to really get into songs and, and really kind of make this bigger than, than what it is. Yeah, and this is, you know, right before Randall's Island where Present Tense would take that spot and and run with it as being the no-code song that they would do that with. But, yeah, I mean, only the sixth performance of Who You Are Here, I thought it was very good. I mean, obviously that's right in Jack's wheelhouse, and you you do get another original kind of falling fast lyric instead of the one that's on the record. That was pretty cool doing the alternate version there. He, He did that a lot of times in 96, I think, before changing it. But yeah, this is uh, this is good. I like kind of you're getting the little bit, you know, you had to, you had the big moment with Rodman and like you kind of need a kind of a reset after that. So yeah, come in with who you are, a little bit of a weirder song before hit, getting back into the hits here for a few minutes. Yep, you're you're going to get even flow, you're going to get daughter. And even flows like you said it with the ten songs, like that's going to be the stuff that the crowd is going to be waiting for. They didn't get in the main set. I'm wondering if a lot of people were saying to themselves, like, "Oh, how long do they do an encore for? Are we going to get it in the encore? Are we going to get even flow? Are we going to get daughter?" Yep, that they they give you the fan service here. Mike was doing some cool stuff in the solo. It fulfills a mood for sure. And the thing that I kept thinking about for the end is that you know, 1996, obviously an election year, the don't vote republican on the outro is mm-hmm. a definite every single night so it's it's just you know th- things that kind of connect pearl jam with what's going on in the world is are the things that i'm looking for yeah the, i thought the the don't vote republican had a little bit of extra emphasis on it like sometimes he'll go right. and he'll, he'll do it really fast and you'll well you'll have to kind of like do a double take like oh did he did he say at that time it was hard to tell but this one is very obvious he makes a point to enunciate that very clearly then we get daughter and a little bit of a reference i don't know if people know this at the time but we're getting into the tag and it gets real real quiet tag gets real real quiet but you hear ed's voice sort of creeping in with do not know what black red yellow is unless they have the japanese import which i'm sure it's not even a small handful of people yeah that was the what single was that 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 was on was the the hail hail single i think might have been yeah yeah i don't know was the the b-side to hail hail i think is black red yellow so that might have been out around this time but yeah not not very many people knew it wouldn't even get debuted live until Budapest on the European yeah. run in 96. And obviously, yeah. as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it really never, ever showed up. But whenever you think about Rodman, whenever you think about, you know, his connection to Pearl Jam, it's that's the song. That's the song right there. And it makes yeah. a lot of sense. They probably so. just recorded it maybe a few months before. So thinking about it. And then another debut of a tag here, it's a Noise of Carpet tag, which, 
you know, I, I sort of, this is one of the tags that I usually just kind of end up forgetting about, and maybe it's because I don't have an attachment to the actual song itself, but I, I, I just never seem to remember. I know the era is <laughs> usually like 96, 98, but I never yeah. seem to remember when it pops up. I like this one, and like if you're not familiar with Stereolab and you're not familiar with the song, it's worth going to YouTube and listening to it just to hear how different it is from anything that you would normally think would be in Pearl Jam's wheelhouse and to see kind of how he took it and used it in Daughter. It's pretty interesting. And yeah, I, I like this a lot. Like, I, I wish it had stuck around. You know, it really had it had a moment there for a couple of years. But then, it, it you know, a lot of these tags have, like, popped up throughout the years and you'll get one like you know we got suggestion a few years ago after not getting it for a really long time but this one has never never come out of this era so yeah definitely if you're if you're not familiar with it go back and listen to it because it's interesting it's very very different from anything that they normally do all right so ending the first encore blood and leaving here and i think blood is definitely a highlight because you have this big clapping section obviously at the point where it sort of lays out for ed but he gets into a little bit of the fame tag david bowie's fame oh a, and a lot of the fame tag that's what i'm right it, it gets <laughs> it's just ongoing and it's yeah. really fun it's a good lead in into the end and he's kind of doing like i don't know if he it sounds like he's possessed but it's, it's going, oh, oh, oh. He's, he's really like just busting out some crazy stuff on it and it's just more that the crowd can feel and the crowd can kind of connect with on this and and they're having a good time ed's having a good time band's having a good time it just feels like a good moment Thanks the Fastbacks for opening. They met Santo the Wrestler in a Taco Bell. 
I think they kidnapped him and made him come out here to sing background vocals. Ed gets a shirt thrown on stage and said, hey, look, plaid, grunge, very deadpan. Just like, oh, like this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, very obvious. Okay. And he says, it's purple. We don't wear that color. So calling for background help for the fastbacks coming out to do leaving here and mentions the boys up in front that need to pay attention to these words. Obviously, the song being about respecting women. And does Ed sing something in like the first line about there's Jack Iron singing backups, like something yeah, like that? Backgrounds, yeah. There's a there's definitely a lyric change. This was one thing where uh, it felt like he was in a really good mood, especially oh, yeah. uh, mixing it up and like and having the you know the fastbacks or like an establishment Seattle band that like never like made it, never had their breakthrough. So he was stoked to have them, you know, play because you know they had they had played the Monkey Wrench Radio, I think, or Self Pollution in right. uh, in '95. So yeah, definitely friends and yeah, just having fun, I like a good time. Would you have marked down for the solos? Uh, couldn't tell. I just kind of defaultly went to Stone Mike and Mike. That was the standard early on, I think. Yeah, right. You're probably right. Right. You could you could tell Ed's one because Ed's the only one that goes. Oh yeah. And then you can kind of when Mike is just like like that's very very obvious. So. Right. Okay, so that's going to end the first encore. You're coming back out. It's just going to be Ed. He's going to do it all by himself. The rest of the band is apparently all watching him on the side stage. This is not something he's done very often, especially at the end of the night. He has not finished a show, just him. And it's not acoustic, but it is just him and an electric. But you're getting some banter here. It sounds like he tells a fan to come to Connecticut. Your name will be on the list. I'll see you there. That's kind of funny and like great of him to to actually do that and come through with it uh, who does that what other people just do that you know usually it's someone like like a kiss that that sees a girl in the crowd and they're like all right have <laughs> section 203 and seat uh, 21 come backstage you know like yeah, yeah, yeah they did that they did that a ton but your motley cruise and oh yeah poisons oh, yeah. of the world yeah right no ed's more worried about all right let's get this guy to the next show let's get him to to connecticut so He says, that takes care of one piece of mail. I was going to play something myself. I only played it one other time. He played it two other times. We can get into that in a sec. This young man wrote me today and said he had this bootleg that was on a tape, and his girlfriend broke up with him a year ago, stole the tape. The crowd obviously mercifully boos this. Yeah, yeah. Then you hear somebody in the crowd scream, I want my tape back. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that it was him, but I right, right. that would be very, very funny if that was the circumstance here. But uh, a good moment and a good bantering moment to get you into a final run of I'm a Patriot. So somebody in this crowd in the beginning is, is very thrilled to hear this. There's one. <laughs> fuck yeah. Uh-huh. But, you, you know, get that, the one on these. Yeah. Yeah, it's either a guy that's just like, oh, I, I just want to hear everything, or it's somebody that knows that, 
oh, I have that tape of the Bridge School 92, or I have that tape of the Mesa show from 93. I know this. This is something I know. Those are the only two other times that, that he's done this. It, it had been 98 shows since that Mesa 93 one that he had played it. And really, this is kind of crazy because Patriot has had a weird trajectory within Pearl Jam. And I think a lot of when it kind of got played a lot was 2003. And they played it sort of in that different style that didn't right. quite right. work out as well. And then they went until, like, you know, they played 2004, obviously. And they went until about... 2016 before they brought it back and then it was starting to be more like an original kind of version like like you know either a fast patriot or a slow fast patriot so like the stuff that you know now the stuff that you get now like that's where that version kind of comes into play in, in uh in 2016 but yeah they have only played this 29 times it's really it hasn't come up that much but you kind of see this as like in that small pantheon of pearl jam songs that they've played live that aren't necessarily songs that you know outside of the band playing it up in the early early days and a lot of stuff that popped up there disappeared but you know 92 93 then it comes back in 96 then it's back in 98 a couple of times back in 2000 and like you said you know 2003 has a big moment 2004 and then it's gone for 12 more years and you think oh well that's just of the time and then all of a sudden five times in 2016 here it is again so yeah very interesting that it's kind of stayed around and and popped up throughout their history and it's real quick it's like uh, you know three and a half minutes and it's kind of a moment where ed can take it for himself and he doesn't do it a lot at the time and now you know obviously we we kind of expect it from him at least once a show or at least in this instance this year you know a a preset kind of deal but yeah that's what you get to end the set which is very unique all right that's the end of the show let's pick three moments that we can kind of go back to that sort of we think define this show my top three moments number one is daughter with the little nod to black red and yellow and the debut of the noise of carpet tags this is a really good show if you like tags by the way really (laughs) really uh if you're if you're one of those people that loves the tags this is a good one for you yeah you're it yeah 
Well done. My number two is Black and the Eclipse, Lunar Eclipse moment with the Can You Feel It? And then just that little call and response and the yelling I thought was was very cool and a unique moment. I'm going to give, you know, Better Man Save It For Later is is a big moment, but I'm going to give that the honorable mention because it became something. I'm going to go performance-based and not historical-based on this, and I'm going to say In My Tree is the, the number one moment. Just blew me away, the performance there. So best moment of the night. Yeah, interesting. I think I'm going to go more historic level on this instead of performance level because I think that when you're thinking of certain shows and you're thinking about what people talk about, you know, when Augusta comes back up, because it does come back up often, people, a lot of people love this show. And especially if, if you, you know, are from there and like we mentioned before, it being so rare that you're getting Rodman and it's always like it's one of these shows where all you have to say is Augusta and you know oh that's that's the Rodman show so I think it needs some of that history to sort of bounce off of and I think Black is going to be my number three all the stuff with the moon and Ed sort of making a moment out of that and then following afterwards the the howls and stuff that, that was a lot of fun it felt like you're seeing the side of Ed that maybe you don't necessarily get to see it shows so uh, that's that's unique in and of itself the number two i'm going to package two together because it kind of it's more of a definition of what they did then would be setting up for the future so it's both the better man with the save for later tag and corduroy where they go back to the extra measure before everything has changed and number one i think is live Because not only was it the moment, not only is Ed sitting on Rodman's shoulders, not only is it big for the crowd to see him there, but it's a a damn good performance of the song, too. And I think when the band knows that, all right, something special is going to happen, that's when they really put their all into it and they really make a great moment outside of what's actually the big moment that's happening. Of course, it sort of becomes the background music, but I don't think so at this point i I think that they bring it all together and sort of create the moment out of everything if you know what i mean you can't have one without the other so yeah it's it's the live performance and everything that that went on all right rating the show what do you think yeah this is tough because we had covered that toronto show and i believe that that got a very very good rating and obviously you know we mentioned randall's island is after this and those are just historic classic you know top tier Pearl Jam shows so this one kind of falls in between there I think this is a uh, it's a good show it's, it's definitely above average I thought it has some very good moments the Rodman thing like doesn't do a lot for me in 2022 I just don't care that much I was never really a, a Bulls fan so that I don't have an attachment to that but again, the if you like tags, this is obviously very important. I'm gonna give this one a solid eight. Yeah, and I, you know it's 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 funny that we're in the same boat, but we're in kind of different boats in in thought and mindset. I thought that this was a pretty good show, not the best for 1996, but definitely memorable. And when you think again, do we have to mention again that it's a show in Maine they had never played before, they had never played since, and them getting a moment like Rodman coming out on stage is huge in so many different aspects that now 
what, 26 years later, 25 years later, whatever it is, they can go back to this and say, this is one of the legit best moments for Maine. And I think that sort of makes this show relevant. And it makes the show one that people kind of bring up uh, so much more. And and really everything that follows, you know, you'll talk about the Wrigley moments. You'll talk about this and that with, with him and Ed. And, and there's a picture of... Rodman celebrating in the Bulls locker room. I can't believe I've uh, I, I didn't mention it until now, but there's a picture of Rodman celebrating. I think the '96 championship, and Ed is there celebrating with him in the locker room after after they won. So that's how deep their friendship is. Yeah, yeah. I I'm writing the eight boat too. It's a very solid show. And it doesn't deserve anything lower, but I think the moment is epic, but I don't think the overall show, and even even the encore, I didn't really bring this up, but even the encore after a live felt like, okay, you did it. You had the big moment and everything else is just kind of extra and you're not building to a bigger moment. So... You're just yeah, it was all a little more lighthearted after that, yeah. Yeah, so Alive really just sticks out. Alive is kind of like the end of the night, and then the, the rest is sort of like okay, they didn't leave the house party kind of deal, mm-hmm. you know. So okay. yeah, yeah, but I'm right there. It's an eight. Okay, we've done three states that you might have forgotten, and we have three more left. This next state that we're going to do next week is a state that I've never gone to. It's a state that I know next to nothing about. It's a state that I'm sure the people there that are Pearl Jam fans have gone to shows in Chicago and I, maybe Denver. I It's tough to gauge where South Dakota is very near because if I'm not looking at a map, I'm not really remembering South Dakota. Maybe, maybe they're going to Minnesota shows. I'm not sure, but yeah, never again in either of the Dakotas, but this one is going to be South Dakota rapid city from 1998. That's a show that right now, as we speak, I don't know a lot about, but next week I will be as much of an expert as I can be on it. And again, the conversation could end up being they've never been there before and they've never been since. So hopefully we yeah. don't have to regurgitate that. But it is very interesting. I'll, I will mention this now that the sort of the storyline with the, with these past two weeks with Casper and Augusta are they had to sort of make some concessions in order to go to these places. But 1998 was one big year where they really went everywhere and I wonder since they had access to just about everything again with going back to Ticketmaster if they just said all right yeah book us there book us there book us there and they just agreed to everything so South Dakota was on the list and they said of course that'll be a fun one I'll be sad to leave Jack behind for a little while but that'll be we've had a nice run like yeah like 1998 that'll be interesting those are always good shows Yep, Rapid City, South Dakota next week from 1998, and then we'll just uh, keep moving on. And again, like when the shows start happening, when the European tour starts happening, we'll start reacting to it, and we'll start talking about it on the episodes, and we'll really kind of get to working with it. So if you liked what you heard on this episode, then perhaps you might want to help out the show. Head on over to Spotify. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a little bit of a rating, five-star rating if you can. And on Apple Podcasts, you can comment and tell us how we're doing and, and let the other listeners know that that kind of stumble upon our podcast 
this is what I think of it. And if you think good things, then other people will say, all right, I got to check this out. That's how the world works. So yeah, all positivity, I'm hoping. And I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying it, whether you decide to give us a rating or not. And that's going to be all I say here. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. Miss you always. We're back. OTOTO next week, South Dakota. I'll learn something about South Dakota before then. Black and red and yellow. It's happening right now. I just want to rip the roof off this place. Let's go louder, let's do it. Let's start, let's go. Yeah! All right, I'm just getting warmed up for the next song.